Welcome to Anxiety and the Artist, the podcast that explores artist's relationship with anxiety, offering insight and inspiration. I'm your host, Allison Schaff. This episode is the third in our special mini-series, Access to Care. Many times on this program, we talk about the importance of therapy. However, we acknowledge that therapy is a privilege and is not always accessible or affordable to those that need it most. I've invited mental health professionals to talk about access to care, where to find affordable therapy, and the tools and resources that are available should therapy not be accessible. As always, this podcast represents the opinions of myself and my guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only, and because each person is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions. Today's episode is dedicated to the memory of Matthew Mindler. My guest today is Patty Martin. Patty recently retired from Pasadena City College after 32 years as an associate professor of counseling. She has been a frequent speaker and co-panelist on various California college campuses and conferences. Patty implemented suicide prevention workshops, and through grants and community collaborations, she increased mental health providers on campus. Patty received her BA in psychology and an MS in counseling from Cal State University, Los Angeles. Patty, welcome to the show. Good morning. So I invited you here to chat about access to care for college students. Um, what types of affordable, low-cost therapy exist for college students? Well, as you know, Allison, demand for mental health services at uh, college counseling centers in, in the U.S. has been on the rise for years. And with COVID, uh, mental health issues for college students has just skyrocketed. Um, in 2019, uh, nearly 90% of college center directors reported an increase in students seeking services. And prior to the pandemic, <clears throat> most of the centers had two or three week wait lists for students seeking care. Wow. Um, with also the increased need of 44% of college counseling centers with that need, 44% of those college counseling centers added staff last year because of that need. Now, part of that is attributed um, to more people with mental health issues actually attending college. Hmm. And that's because with better medications and psychological interventions, they're enabling a lot of these students with issues like depression, schizophrenia, attention deficit, et cetera, to, and more of them to attend college. But they still need specialized support. And then COVID hit, yeah. <laughs> and then that just was a whole new ball game um, because everything had to shut down, and then mental health centers were facing their crisis on what they were going to do. But they very, very quickly, at an unprecedented level of change, they went to telehealth, which is just you know a, an amazing feat because. If you've ever worked in education, it, nothing changes that quickly. Right, right. So <laughs> it, 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 you know, it, it really, you know, went from one day to the next, sort of taking, turning on and off a switch. Anyways, with that said, uh, now with the vaccine and the new protocols on safety, many colleges have returned to in-person learning. And they're now moving towards hybrid teleservices as well as in-person uh, models. So as colleges gear up for these students to return to campus, 
the psychologists and counselors on campuses are also moving towards uh, a, a trauma-enforced approach to care. So that's, you know, looking a lot different than it did in the past. I think also the, the new wave of students embrace uh, mental health care a lot more than in the past. So that's also very helpful. So now to your question, what types of affordable and low cost therapy exist for college students? Well, each college and each state is a little different. Most colleges have mental health offices and uh, if they don't have a mental health office, they have a protocol uh, for uh, crisis. So if somebody is, you know, in a crisis mode, they usually have some designated people in the mental health, uh, in the health office that can help them and uh, refer them, you know, for an emergency. Um, but there's usually a set number of appointments, so it doesn't go on long term. So if you're there for four years, your mm -hmm. therapy is not going to go for four years. Okay. Uh, but they do have a lot of referrals and I, I've included a list that you've posted uh, that includes many national hotline and referral services. And then also remember that until you're 26, most college students are still qualified to be on their parents' health insurance. And if that health insurance has mental health as part of it, they can still continue to use it. Um, the one uh, referral that I'll, I'll talk about a little bit is NAMI. And it, it's, it's a national grassroots program that specializes in training lay people to lead support groups on a variety of mental health issues. So it's a real good resource to call uh, that national number and to find out where they are in the community that you're, you're living in, wherever your college is. So that's very helpful. Okay, so you mentioned one statistic a little while back that um, some of the the offices, when when people have reached out for care, that there's been a two to three week back backup, so mm -hmm. and people aren't able to access that care for those couple of weeks. Correct. Um, what would you? What advice would you have to those students who may be in crisis and might need help more? urgently than waiting two or three weeks? Well, they do have, they will have in, in a mental health office, they will have designated uh, counselors there that will deal with drop-in crisis. So it's not as if, you know, you have a, a, a roommate that's suicidal and, <laughs> and all of a sudden they have to wait three weeks. No, that, mm -hmm. that's not how that works. They will have someone in the mental health office or in the health center that uh, will see them right away and then will make a, an assessment to, you know, how dire this is and, and give them, a, you know, an immediate referral. So for emergencies, there is a protocol that will help them. Okay. So let's say that you're, you are the roommate of somebody who you think might be in crisis. What, what steps should you take? Well, first of all, you need to try and assess just how, how, um, how dire this emergency is. I mean, does it sound like this person is going to harm themselves or harm others? And at that point you make, you make the decision to tell someone you need to, if you're not comfortable referring them over to the health center, the mental health center, you need to go and, and find uh, a counselor, a teacher, an administrator, someone who can take that off your hands, that decision and move forward on that. 
Okay. Uh, and then also ask the same question for what if you're a parent and you have a child away at college and you're concerned about their mental health? What, can, what steps can you take? Well, each college is going to be different, but for the most part, remember when most of these students are 18 and over. And so when that happens, they're considered adults and it's a hard, it's a hard pill to swallow as a parent. I can tell you, I've been there, you know, all of a sudden they're sending mail about finances and tuition and uh, dorms and everything else. And it's all addressed to your child. And sometimes your child is not irresponsible enough or in a position to really make, you know, these very important decisions. But as a parent, the school doesn't have permission to give you that information unless your student has given them permission. Because again, 18, they're adults. Mm -hmm. So outside of orientation at the college, for parents, there aren't many resources for them unless they're enrolled students themselves. Um, the resource list that I've provided can help them look for, uh, you know, mental health support. Uh, certainly the national hotlines, NAMI, again, a great resource for parents. They can either start their own support group and they'll help train them or they can join one. But, uh, Working with the with the student's counselor is mm -hmm. really at the discretion of the student. And sometimes that's not a it's not a perfect fit, but it, it's not a bad thing for parents to alert counselors if there are some issues. But again, they're 18, so it makes it very difficult for parents. Right. So aside from therapy, what are some other alternatives? I don't, I, I hesitate to use the word alternatives. What are some other options um, to maybe supplement therapy or other ways uh, maybe on campus to, um, to find support? Okay. Well, some campuses have created different virtual drop-in groups. Um, some of the covering themes are self-compassion, grief, anxiety, depression, academic stress, test anxiety. Um, it, and, and it's just to enhance the feeling of connectedness between students. It's just helping them come together. Um, having students join uh, interest-focused clubs, you know, if, they're, if they like tennis, if they like hiking, if they like boating, you know, any of those uh, focused, interest-focused clubs or sports teams, they're a good way to help uh, a lot of different mental health issues. It provides a support group as well as a diversion for some of their troubling issues. And exercise has always been a, a great way to manage depression. Mm -hmm. So it, it's really helping students come together, feeling that connected, getting them to create that village. You know, they say it takes a village. Well, it's helping them to create that village. And beyond that, hopefully some of these, uh, these groups uh, help them uh, get an understanding of their triggers and helping them to develop some coping mechanisms. So if they know that they're super anxious just before a test, you know, Perhaps one of the coping mechanisms could be to get up early and maybe exercise, doing some yoga, just something to really, or meditation, just doing something to just sort of focus them in the moment and to, to help that self-care that they need to learn. 
And that's good for everyone, not just students, but um, right. just creating those. And so they, they not only have created these online groups, but there you know, are all these clubs on campus and all these groups. And if students uh, don't find the group that they're drawn to, they're also, uh, you know, they're also uh, invited to start their own. Right. So on, I don't know if that's if I would call this the flip side of that, but community is obviously very important. Um, but I think going to being in a new environment, a new place, there can also be a lot of social anxiety um, in taking that first step to join that club or to join, you know, to reach out. Um, do you have any advice for students that might be sort of on the fence about reaching out because of their social anxiety? Well, you know, that's a very good question. And there are a lot of students that really have a lot of social anxiety. And I guess really the first step is to maybe connecting and getting to know your your roommate mm-hmm. if you're living on campus. And if not living on campus, then maybe somebody who is sitting next to you that seems approachable in a classroom. And I think you just take it by inch, you know, to steps, to, you know, leaps in terms of trying to get to know one person at a time and and creating that connection so that you can go a little bit further. It's not an easy thing when you have a lot of social anxiety. And a lot of these students not just don't have just social anxiety, but they may have a multitude of other issues. They may be depressed. You know, now with COVID, a lot of people have lost family members, so they may be in mourning. You know, there's just a lot of things that can keep them isolated. And certainly there's, it would be great if we could have someone, you know, take them by the hand and just lead them through, but that's really not the case once they're in college, but just having them take that, that little step an inch at a time, you know, getting to know the person next to you, getting to know the person in your dorm room, uh, connecting with people in your classes, maybe going and talking to a professor, but just those little tiny steps, uh, are really helpful. And certainly if, if you're feeling that it's insurmountable, then going to a counselor and talking to them and seeing what they can do to also help you learn coping mechanisms to get beyond that. Great. Wonderful. Do you have anything else that you want to share or add? Uh, only that it, it's it's really great to see the changing tide uh, of the new students that are coming in that are so much more open to mental health and self-care. Uh, it's really, it, it, in having been in this um in this career for so many years, it's always been really difficult to get students to acknowledge that they're they're struggling and uh, to go beyond uh, feeling ashamed because they may have some mental health issues because it's it's you know it's like a lot of different uh, physical uh, issues. You know, if, if mm-hmm. you have to wear glasses, you know most people aren't ashamed to wear glasses or get contacts, but at one time. Uh, that was a very shameful thing. People didn't want to wear glasses. They felt that they were really ugly and, and they didn't want to do it. And, you know, to the detriment of their vision. Right. Uh, right. And I guess, so it's, it, it's very, it's very exhilarating to think that we have gone beyond that feeling ashamed of mental health issues. And, and people are beginning to recognize that 
they need some coping mechanisms. And if, if truth be told, we all use coping mechanisms for all kinds of things that we're not strong at. And so it's great that they're acknowledging some of their weak areas and trying to build them up with coping mechanisms or actually just dealing with them. So I, I'm very excited about that. Wonderful. Patty, thank you so much for being here today and sharing your, your insight and your experience. It's very appreciated. Well, thank you for inviting me. That's our show for today. I want to take a moment to mention one additional resource. If you feel sad, lonely, helpless, or suicidal, the Samaritans are here to listen 24 hours a day. You can call or text 877-870-HOPE. Thank you for listening, and thanks to my guest, Patty Martin. For more information on the resources we discussed, Patty has provided us with an extensive list that is available on our website, anxietyintheartist.com. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe and share. Until next time, be healthy and stay creative. Anxiety in the Artist is produced by Grosta Productions and recorded at Homestead Studios. Music and engineering is by Bosco Chef. This podcast represents the opinions of Allison Chef and her guests. The content here should not be taken as medical advice. The content here is for informational purposes only. And because each person is so unique, please consult your healthcare professional for any medical questions.